Chris Wendelkin, and this is On the Line, my podcast where I call friends of mine living around the country to talk all things NBA, uh, NBA deep dives. We do some drafts, news from around the league. Thanks for tuning in. If you are new to the show, you can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. I'm on Instagram. If you have any ideas for bits or segments, you want to drop me a line, say hello. Uh, you can always email me at onthelinepod at gmail.com. Last uh, big favor, if you could please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes or wherever you get podcasts. Um, obviously, people are looking for new NBA content. It really helps me out a lot. So thank you, thank you, thank you in advance for that. All right, we're back on the line. Happy Labor Day. Hope uh, you are enjoying your day off. If you're catching this on Monday, hope it's a restful day away from work. Hope you're doing something fun and relaxing. And uh, thanks for tuning in. On today's pod, Ben Craw and I are back at it. We are going to draft our favorite all-time NBA enforcers. These are the bodyguards, folks. These are your classic NBA tough guys, your, your, your NBA bouncers, the guys that laid the wood. So let's get to it. Uh, I hope you enjoyed the Enforcers Draft on the line with Brooklyn's finest, Ben Croft. You good? I think I'm good. All right, we're back. This is on the line. We're here in uh, Brooklyn with Ben Craw. Yep. BC. Another hot night in Brooklyn. Just another, uh, just another draft. Just another draft here on the line. We're having a draft party. Uh, having a little draft party. Drinking a couple of beers. Yeah. How did you feel? How did you feel about the first draft experience? And how do you feel headed into the next draft here? I felt really good coming out of our first draft. Yeah. Um, I was really happy with my performance. Like this is a citrusy beer. Yeah. This okay. is very delicious. Thank you. We're, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, te- we're taste testing a little. This is a Mega Boss IPA. Okay. And I have to say that's delicious. Goes down nice. Mm. What kind of what kind of boss do you feel like right now? <laughs> I feel like a uh, kind of like a grapefruit boss, okay. um, a hoppy boss, a There's tropical. Like, we got a robot with a top hat on the label here. Yeah, very nice. Okay. Yep. Yep. There's yep, a lot yep, going yep, on in that yep, can. A lot of hoppy flavor happening mm. there. Citrusy hoppy flavor. So thoughts on the first draft? And, yeah, felt and, real and good. Very happy with my performance. You know, um, did a lot of preparation. Sure, and uh, and I think it paid off. I executed yeah, my absolutely. game plan to yeah. a T. Yeah. yeah. You know, was there, there anything? Were Were you hoping any uh, picks? Were you hoping any guys would fall to you that were there? You know, to be honest with you, I really, I think I really kind of nailed everyone. For me, looking back, it was definitely Pollard. I was like, I yeah. just, I just want Pollard You're to be there in the third round. Yeah, yeah. if he's the there guy, in the third, I'll be, I can walk away happy. You know. Yeah, Dennis Robin was was actually probably going to be like around pick three or four for me. Yeah. So that did make me recalibrate. Yeah. Yep. That's why my fifth pick was a little bit of a. I guess that's true. It wasn't a 100% perfect. I mean, no draft is ever, you know. Well, it's not. A, yeah, it's you, just, it's you, like. You can't get 100% every time. No, but, you, uh, or at any you, time, really. you just kind of adjust on the fly. Yeah. You're like, all right, so who's next Who's next up? You got to yeah. recalibrate. Yeah. So I'm happy that I was able to kind of hit that moment and then and then adjust and, and not completely lose it. Yeah. And uh, how do you yeah. feel heading into NBA enforcers? You know, I, I feel pretty good. I feel like I'm not quite as, I mean, I did, I did a good amount of work here too. But I, I don't know. I feel like I maybe don't have quite as many guys that I that I feel as comfortable with or wow. as excited about. I mean, there's yeah. a lot there. I don't know. I'm sure it'll be fine once I kind of get going. Yeah. I think it's just that you know, it's all about getting that first pick of out, course. and then yeah, the the butterflies kind of kind of oh, calm down a little yeah, bit, man. and you kind of ease into a groove. Well, uh, so yeah. I mean, uh, so I'm I'm up with the first pick here. That's right. Uh, so since you I had you, you had the first overall in the, in the pick first in hair. One so goes to you now. I'm gonna be the first overall pick, and if you're ready. I, I just want, I just want to tee off. Just say the name. We all know what it's going to be. Um, in 1988, the Bulls traded Charles Oakley to the New York Knicks for Bill Cartwright and picks. Yeah. Uh, my first overall pick is Charles Oakley it's of not the Bill New Cartwright? Wow, I'm shocked. Of I the New York Knicks. For, uh... No. Yeah. So Oakley would become just an iconic member of the 90s no layup Knicks under Pat Riley and Jeff Van Gundy. An absolute legend. I mean, the stories of Oakley's toughness are legendary. He once, uh, I read, he once slapped Charles Barkley during a Players Association meeting. A uh, a Bulls beat writer witnessed Oakley... (laughs) 
<laughs> taking a child out of a player's arms, hand the child to a player's girlfriend, and then slap the player in the face. <laughs> now, we should probably yeah. make clear at the top here, enforcers are a an obsolete uh, term. Yeah, what, let's the, talk about the term. What exactly the are we really referring really no longer to? exists, certainly not in the same way that it did in the, in the 70s, right. 80s, and 90s. Well, I mean, even going back to the origin of the league, it was a lot more rough and tumble back then. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and enforcers were, were, were pretty much as, as much of a mainstay as they are now in like hockey. Yes. Um, and, uh, and well, they I were think basketball really resembled more, it really resembled hockey or football yeah, in, in its nature more. much more than it does in today's modern NBA. For sure. Yeah. There was far less, uh, floor spacing, um, you know, the outside shooting, uh, wasn't nearly as, as prevalent as it is today. And there was just a lot more kind of rough and tumble under the basket play. Yep. yep. Um, and, there uh, were guys whose responsibility on the court was basically creating space in the same way an offensive lineman would create space and open a hole for a running back or right. in the same way that, um, on, on, uh, in, in hockey, a player would just be out there to check, just mm-hmm. body check mm-hmm. someone from the other team. Just lay some lumber on the opponent, yeah. shake them up, knock some heads, just establish your physical dominance. Exactly. So aptly nicknamed Oak, Charles Oakley made a living in the NBA. He initially came in to the NBA as Michael Jordan's basically as his personal bodyguard yeah. on the court. Like on court and off court yes. for, for that matter. Yes. <laughs> and and later he sort of uh you know once he was traded from the Bulls to, to the Knicks, he was sort of epitomized the ethos of the 90s Knicks. Mm-hmm. Modern NBA enforcers are basically made in the mold of Charles Oakley. Right. Uh, he's the prototype. But of course, the game has really changed. And, Fundamentally. And the enforcer is and the rules, a thing of the past. The rules have also is changed. probably for the best. Yes. I mean, let's be honest. Like As much like, as we idolize and, and kind of lionize these, yes. these men, these great muscular monsters of our youth, like... It's probably a good thing that like yes. f- like fighting and brawling is like not as is the thing of the past. as prevalent as it, yes. as it used to yeah. be. Yeah, I mean David life. Stern wanted to clean up the game, yeah. right? Oakley's ethos, the mission statement for Oakley's Knicks were, was basically like no one comes through the lane, no one comes through the paint unscathed. Mm-hmm. Like if you're driving to the rim, you're going to get you're going to get You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay for it. You're going to pay a price. Yeah. And especially with Oakley on the floor. So Oak played a hard-nosed ruthless brand of defense. Mm. He wasn't afraid to throw elbows. Oh, yeah. He would pick up a tech. He would pick up a flagrant foul. During <laughs> during a 1999 labor negotiation, he famously, as I mentioned, slapped Charles Barkley in the face. Whom he fought on court also multiple times. Right. Barkley was, I think, kind of like his number one nemesis, nemesis yes yeah. and then later with with the raptors toward the end of his career with the raptors charles oakley was once suspended three games and and fined fifteen thousand dollars for punching jeff mcginnis of the clippers during a morning shoot around during a shoot around a morning shoot around imagine being at the gym at like 9 10 a.m like and the guy just hasn't even had his coffee yet He's a like, knuckle a knuckle sandwich from charles oakley yeah. for pissing him off like what could you possibly say to charles <laughs> oakley put some wood on today yeah man i mean look around the gym this i don't like that guy so oakley oakley sort of epitomized as i as i said a couple times now he sort of epitomized an era of of ball where it was like no nonsense it really looked and felt more like hockey or football Mm. than it did sort of this sleek nba today that you know is more like ice skating or something in in the way or dance in the way it's choreographed yeah oakley oakley was a bruiser man he was just a classic bruiser, bruiser a, cl- a classic wore tough guy wore the heart on the sleeve and and also he was a fan favorite i oh mean my gosh. We, we can't i yeah. mean i think we both speak to that but we can't really speak to the degree to which like fans at madison square garden worship this guy mm-hmm. and what mm-hmm. they worshiped about him was like the blue collar ethic right like that was a guy that was out there every night. He wasn't night the most skilled. Earning his paycheck, You know, right? he wasn't going to cross over dribble. He no. wasn't going to shoot three. Although he did shoot a couple of threes. No, he uh, developed a shot. Career. Yep. Uh, again, kind of ahead of his time in that sense. But mostly he was just grabbing offensive rebounds. Yeah. He was just shutting down the opposing players, big man. He was diving into stands. He there was, was a... nothing I loved more watching this little kid than seeing Oak ending up in the fourth row of Madison yeah. Square Garden. 
like that just got me so pumped. I was like, look at that guy. Look at how hard, look at how bad he wants it. He like, was like a personal bodyguard, like a, a personal cop, a security guard on your team that was out there policing. Yeah. If anyone did wrong by your teammate, just I mean, patrolling he was the, the lane. Dude, that's the thing. He was the ultimate teammate. Yeah. Right? Like yeah. he was like, if you if you mess with my teammates, I'm going to I'm gonna come find you. And yeah. I'm going to take care of you. Yeah. And we love that. We love that's that so in our hearts. Really just to find, set the tone for the entire team. I mean, Ewing was the captain. He was was the leader but like Oakley it was, it was, was like, Oakley's team yeah, yeah. he was the heart he first was, overall pick Charles Oakley of the New York Knicks we all knew there was no other person no and that's yeah that's I mean he's un, undisputed first yeah. overall he's the enforcer wow all right so there's a couple directions I could go here mm-hmm. um but I think there's I'm, no wrong choice yeah there's no wrong choice so I think I think in my heart I know I know that this is the right one mm-hmm. and it makes sense not only because he um, was also my first pick in the previous yep. draft, yep. but because the Knicks were a team yep. and they were bigger than any one man. And even if Charles Oakley kind of set the tone and was the heart and soul, he had a there partner were multiple in hearts and souls on that team. Yep. Like that's how heart and solely it was. And my first pick is in the Charles first round Smith. is <laughs> number 54, <laughs> the guy who couldn't hit yeah. a shot yeah. in game five of the Eastern <laughs> Conference Finals. And I, never mind. Uh, uh, no, my first pick is, of course, the one, the only. Oakley's front court teammate, yep. Anthony Mason, yeah. number 14, who also had the best hair, but mm-hmm. he was also an equally, equally skilled at, at both haircuts and enforcing because he was, he was just like a little mini Oakley out there. He was a bruiser. He had like the biggest shoulders and arms of like anyone in the NBA. Like maybe like Larry Johnson could like, you know, battle him for that title. But like, he was just a complete beast. Like not a monster of a man, like six foot seven, but just thick. And like, man, just thick really is the, is, is the word for, for Mace. And uh, yeah, he, in the same way Oakley did just embodied that kind of grit and heart. And even though it sounds ridiculous to have uh, our top two enforcers uh, in all of NBA history, (laughs) be be on the same team at the same time as teammates playing in the same front court, uh, starting power forward and small forward. But like, that's just who that team was. Like they were, God, they just embodied that so fully and completely. And I loved Mason. And yeah, I mean, he wasn't, he didn't quite have the reputation for like fighting that Oakley did because no one did. But he was right there behind Oak, laying down the lumber in the lane. Yeah. um, You know, putting Scottie Pippen on his ass, putting Michael Jordan on his ass when he tried to come in for a dunk. Um, just threw, threw the arms around. Like when he got rebounds, he would do the thing kind of like Robin would do where he would jump up and spread his legs real yep. wide and just kind of, you know, slap the ball and throw yep. elbows around. And he was just like, just a real, like a rough and tumble playground mm-hmm. guy. And, uh, yeah, I mean, he, the funny thing about Mace is that he also had, like, a, a very evolved, like, kind of finesse game. Like, he was a point forward. Point like, forward. one of the first point forwards, really. Like, had an amazingly six, adept seven. handle yep. um, for being, like, this 6'7 muscle head. Yep. Um, he could really put the ball on the floor, great passer. Yep. Uh, not really an outside shooter, but like really, you know, was was very much a, a facilitator on offense, which is like kind of crazy. Like no other like big man really did that um, uh, like like he did. So, uh, but yeah, anyway. I want to say two things here. Yeah. One, which is, um, you know, we alluded to this in the other pod, uh, the, the hair pod, but mm-hmm. like, I, I, I don't know... Um, what you found in your in your research, but I sort of discovered that there were there were teams there were teams of enforcers mm-hmm. just like there were just like thematically there were hair people. Mm-hmm. I found mm-hmm. that there were teams of enforcers. Yeah, there and were a I think that's those. that's that's going to bear some fruit over the course of um, this draft. It's so I true, I, yeah. I want to say like. Yeah, I think the Knicks, like the 90s Knicks, just like there was a, you know, there's teams in the 80s and the teams in the early 2000s and 70s that were, had an identity of being like tough people. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, it's it's not an accident that there are multiple guys on these, on these teams, yeah. right? That are enforcers. Yeah. I mean, you could almost put like Oakley Mason, like yeah. Oakley slash Mason as first pick. As one, as one player. Yeah. Totally. Like, totally agree. They just work together. Uh, I also want to say about Mason though, um, 
Mason was, we were talking about Oakley as a fan favorite. Mm -hmm. Mason was also a fan favorite. And, you know, he endeared, he endeared himself to the fans partly because of his look. You know, he had this iconic hair, this very burly, imposing body, imposing body, but also because, you know, he was a classic underdog story. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I sort of alluded to this in the hair pod, but, you know, he was a classic underdog in in the way you know a guy like oakley was or a lot of the guys on the knicks were john starks right but 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 mason truly was an underdog he was drafted in the third round by portland and was back when they had three rounds yeah it was almost immediately cut he played around the world he went as far as playing in venezuela he finally got an nba gig and and didn't let it go and this is a guy that like had a great 13-year career yeah. in the league. Won the Sixth Man of the Year award. Yeah, 10 points, 8 rebounds, um, won the Sixth Man of the Year, was NBA All-Defensive Team, made the All-Star t- team in 2001. That's right, with Charlotte. I mean, it's like, he is very much a Cinderella story, oh, and it's not, it's not an accident to me that he's a fan favorite oh, with... Yeah. with not just Knicks fans, but Heat fans, um, Hornet fans. He played eventually with the Bucks, and this is just a beloved guy. He passed away in 2015, I believe, yeah. and it was sort of telling that all these people came out and sort of mourned and grieved his loss because yeah. he was just someone that so many people, fans growing up, like really identified with. Like I said, you know, I was a huge Knicks fan. I could have gone with Patrick Ewing as my first jersey. Could have gone John Starks. Anthony Mason was my first jersey. Yeah, I it's a be great. More proud to I mean. Say that. It's an yeah, it's an incredible jersey to rock. Yeah, um, still own it to this day. All right, second pick, Team CW is up. <sighs> Boy, all right. So Man, <laughs> I went, uh, I went back and forth here. I mean, I, I'll be honest with you, I, I I had difficulty as well with enforcers. Just uh, trying, not not really identifying. Not I didn't right, have trouble identifying the, like the who was an enforcer. The definition of an enforcer is a little bit. Uh, diffuse like the, the, there's there's like kind of you know you could make claims that certain guys yeah. were or certain guys weren't I, I had I didn't have a terrible uh, time tr- uh, identifying like who was and wasn't an enforcer mm. where I had trouble was was ranking them sure it was like how sure. do I how do I really consider this dude's enforcement versus that dude's enforcement <laughs> you know what I mean did like, you try to put like Yes. In the sections, would you pit them against each other in your head? Like, oh, who would win in one, like a... No, just like 1,000%. I, I would be like, whose contributions as an enforcer were the greatest? Right. You know right. what I mean? And so for me, um, you know, Bill Lambeer played center during sure. the 80s and the early 90s with the Detroit Pistons. This mm. is my second overall pick. Mm-hmm. He teamed up with a Hall of Fame backcourt of guards that include Isaiah Thomas, Joe Dumars. At small forward, he had Dennis Rodman. And um, and eventually, he also played with Rick Mahorn. Now, Lambeer won back-to-back championships in '88 and '90, uh, in in '89 and '90. Um, Bill Lambeer was, I mean, I think unequivocally probably the uh, dirtiest player to ever play in the NBA. He has a reputation for possibly being the most hated man yeah who's i mean ever played this is a guy that stood six feet just tall, an unrepentant asshole six foot eleven bill lambier was he was a defender he he passed the ball well could play pick and pop but but, but basically he was a tough ruthless dirty player yeah. on the bad boy detroit pistons the ultimate bad boy of the bad boys he was an integral cog on two championships teams like oakley lambier kind of epitomized and embodied and represented the team's identity mm-hmm. i mean that's the thing i couldn't let go with it with with bill lambier it was yeah. like he sort of was the soul of the team he yeah. definitely wasn't the best player on the team definitely was not obviously was not Mm-mm. the most talented player in the team Mm-mm. but if anything he was the things that team was trying to do Bill Lambeer. Nobody wanted to play against Bill Lambeer. Bill Lambeer. It was just going to be a shitty night. Bill Lambeer would do anything to win. Yeah, that is what separated him. And and at times he would do dirty things. Didn't have the skills to win necessarily all the time, so he he resorted to other tactics. Per uh, Jason Concepcion of the Ringer, Lambeer's list of transgressions is long. (laughs) Players he uh, punked included Larry Bird and the whole Celtics front line. Oh yeah, Charles Barkley. Michael Jordan, Scottie Pippen, Kareem, Lonzo Mourning. Um, I, I mean, I went down the rabbit hole the other day looking at uh, YouTube highlights of this guy. In 1993, I mean, in 93 during a Pistons practice, Lambeer got into a fight with Isaiah Thomas, 
who punched him in the face and broke his hand in the process. Thomas Isaiah, broke his hand. Isaiah Thomas broke his hand <laughs> punching Bill Lambier during a, a Pistons practice. Oh, my and God. the entire NBA came out in support of Isaiah Thomas. Carl <laughs> like Malone was like, if there's one guy, yeah, of course. If there's one guy who you want to break your hand on, yeah. it's Bill Lambier. It worth he it. deserves it. Totally it. worth it. Dirtiest I don't player. care how many games he misses the, as the team's best player on the... Yeah. yeah, it's like totally worth it. Yeah. So, Bill Lambier, my second overall pick. Yeah. Um, Can't argue with that. The floor I is I mean, yours. Lambier and the Pistons really did set the 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 uh, the model. You know, they were they were the um, well, they were like team enforcement. Yeah, uh, right? but the the model that the Knicks then followed, you know, a few years later, like they were the progenitors of that style of yes. ball, which you know, like a lot of people have had problems with. Um, I, for one, is, am a huge fan. I kind of love that. Like there was that element, like that there were teams that like. <laughs> We're just like played that style. Like there, yeah. Anytime there's like different styles for different teams, that's yeah. like cool and interesting to me. So I love that the Pistons like so fully like embraced that. Yeah, thing. embraced that and and practiced that and um, yeah, and they were just man, they were a great team. Yeah, I mean, I can't like I was saying before. I just I looking at the YouTube highlights. It's 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 telling man i mean it really looks more like hockey like you see full body checks oh you, yeah you see guys going horizontal getting they thrown. had a thing called the jordan rules are you familiar with that yeah where that's they were right, that's right they were the ones that invented this thing called the jordan rules which was basically like we're not he's not allowed to get like an uncontested layup like yeah. if he tries to come in the lane which the knicks again like later adopted themselves but but the pistons were the you know sort of the the um originators of, of yep. that of that tactic of just being like he's the best player in the league if we don't make it extremely painful for him to like do his thing then he's mm-hmm. just going to destroy us yep. so we're going to make it extremely painful for him to do his thing yeah and uh for many years they won with that uh strategy until jordan got better that's people. right um all right great second pick um for my second round pick i am going with and now this yeah. is going to sound crazy don't do it and it's still crazy to me that this even happened but i'm going <laughs> Back to the early 90s New York Knicks. Now, this guy was only on the Knicks for one year. He had a, a, a you know, much bigger and longer career um, for which his enforcement uh, reputation was, was built, uh, or on, on which his reputation was built. But, uh, but in the 91-92 season, there was a year that uh, the New York Knicks uh, employed Oakley, Anthony Mason, and this man, the X-Man. Oh, yeah. Xavier oh, McDaniel. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, Let's talk about him. X was just the most badass. Like, I don't know. Like, I mean, I don't... Like, the word badass, even though, like, you could say, like, Mason or Oakley was more bad. Like, X was the embodiment of badass. I don't know how else to describe I mean, it. his like, name is X. His name was X. Um, he started out in the league as a member of the Seattle Supersonics. Um, in, uh, let's see, I think in like 85, he came in the same draft as, as, uh, Patrick Ewing actually, um, played for the Sonics for a number of years, was traded briefly to the Suns and then to the Knicks in, in 1991. And, um, he was just a, a complete maniac for lack of a better word. He was just super intense, super physical, a six, seven small forward slash power forward, um, a, a pretty adept scorer when he was in the Sonics he would actually average like 20 points a game for several seasons um, pretty solid rebounder but mostly just an instigator and a scrapper and a mm-hmm. fighter just mm-hmm. really really like up in people's faces um, fought with everybody uh, he famously strangled Lakers guard Wes Matthews Sr. Uh, <laughs> father of uh, current NBA player Wes Matthews Jr. yeah um, but they got into a tussle along the sidelines, diving for a loose ball, and Xavier McDaniel wrapped his massive hands around Wes Matthews' neck uh, yeah. and literally strangled him <laughs> until I think Michael Cooper like came over and like like pulled him like off. pulled like threw him into the stands to get him off of him. Um, X Man uh, was um, incredibly intense uh, playing against Scottie Pippen in the '92. Uh, Eastern Conference playoffs when the Knicks faced the Bulls and pushed the Bulls to seven games, which um, was the uh, was very rare for those championship Bulls teams. There was only one other series that they actually were pushed to seven games. But that '92 Knicks team, yeah, which it's my one of my great Man, regrets in life is I that know. that was like right before I tuned yeah, in. We were um, aware, yeah. Which I'm almost like in some ways kind of glad about because I think if I had watched that team. 
Xavier McDaniel could very well have been my favorite player. And then he was the very next season. He was like signed to the Boston Celtics after ni- the 92 yeah. season. And I was like, that sucks. Like, yeah. But imagine that, like McDaniel, Oakley, and Mason, who even though he wasn't like as big a, a, a contributor, he was still playing yep. like 20 minutes a game. Like Mason yep. was like a very important player on the 92 team. So like three enforcers behind Patrick Ewing, who was like, you know, three blocks a game still yeah. at that point. Yeah. Just like a, a, a nightmare of a, of a front line to go against. Um, so I read uh, in my research, I, I, uh, learned that in college, um, so this was like in the early 80s, like 81 to 85, McDaniel was in school. And um, so before uh, Jordan really started doing it, McDaniel shaved his both his head and his eyebrows <laughs> to look more intimidating to yeah. opponents. Yeah. Um, and so like anytime you see McDaniel, there's like something kind of off. I mean, he's like a very intense looking dude, but he's almost kind of scared. And you're like, what is up with him exactly? It's because mm-hmm. he has no eyebrows. Yeah. You look for his eyebrows. You won't find there. them. They're not there because he fucking <laughs> shaved them off just to yeah. intimidate his opponents. That sounds right. That is you know, awesome. <laughs> I, this, is, this is something I want to uh, say, just point out, like in our conversations here. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, being an NBA enforcer, being a tough guy, being a menace on the court mm-hmm. is something that was actually once a skill sure. that people would draft for. Oh, yeah. You would sign a guy or you would draft a guy Very important, because he important shaved his position. eyebrow. Like, yeah. he shaved his eye. It was like, this is a psycho. Like, he made a long career for himself. Like, this is someone that, like, goes to a barber and shaves his head in such a way because he's so psyched about this game. This is a guy <laughs> who shaved his eyebrows. Yeah. You know, uh, o- Oakley, like, you know, spent every last minute thinking about, like, guys that he could beat up on the court. Yeah. Uh, Bill Lambier was, like, a rough-and-tumble guy. How that can had, I get in this guy? Head. How can I just make this, this whole 48 minutes miserable right. for my opponent? And um, it's just interesting, you know, today's NBA, like rarely do you read a draft profile about a guy coming into the NBA in 2018 where it's like, yeah, this guy can't really shoot. Yeah, he's just he's really more there to just like, like crazy. He's like sort of a psycho who yeah. can rebound. Yeah. Um. But yeah, man, it just makes me think of that X. Like he was Love just X man. Oh, yeah. also he had an incredibly amazing and awesome poster. Um. Are you really? familiar with the Coast to Coast Brothers? Yes. They made the this, yeah. like the just fucking legendary awesome sports posters in the eighties and nineties. Um. But I'm gonna have to ask you right now to to Google the X Man. Uh, Coast to Coast Brothers uh, poster because it is uh, one of the... I kind of really wish I owned this. I have another... I actually have the Patrick Ewing Coast to Coast Brothers uh, poster, but the X-Man one is uh, just a sight to behold. All right, I'll just show it to you. Yeah, just show it to me. Look at that thing. Oh, my Lord. (laughs) Right? That is goddamn beautiful. I mean, it's not often that I do, Yeah, okay. That that totally lives up to the height. Yeah, he's... um, Wearing a leather jean vest, or no, sorry, a, a denim vest. a denim vest. vest. Holding a, like a metallic basketball. What's the deal hand. with the dog? The dog is a Doberman Pinscher with glowing, like, neon blue eyes. Um, and there is a cloud of steam and a giant neon yellow X behind him. <laughs> it's, like, the pretty much the coolest poster I've maybe ever seen. So, shout out to wow. Coast Coast Brothers. They really knew how to make a poster. Um, and X-Men. Did you have this poster as a child? No. no. I, sadly, I, I never was able to get my hands on this one. But Is this something that we can buy? I mean, you could probably find it on eBay. Um, I think I there were, I've like, at various points, I've like searched for it and it's like pretty rare. And like, you know, you might get like some shitty like folded up one that someone has for Dude, like a hundred bucks. But Coast to Coast Brothers. Any, also any, made some other incredible. Oh, they had. Posters. We could do an, We could literally do a podcast on Coast to Coast Brothers posters. I'm looking at a. Uh, oh my god! I'm yeah. looking at a Lawrence Taylor poster. Oh, the LT one, the Terminator. There's a Kevin Mitchell poster when he played for the San Francisco Giants. The yeah. Bo Jackson poster. These are amazing. Endless, endless like gold. Carl here. Malone is standing in front of a mailbox in front of a white picket fence house. Yeah. Uh, so good. Yeah, so good. That's that's a treasure trove right there. All, all right, right, sorry, we got X-Man. distracted. <laughs> it's all good. X Man. X Man is my uh, is my second pick. Okay, with the third overall pick in the Enforcer NBA Enforcer Draft, I am proudly selecting Queensbridge native mm-hmm. Ron Artest. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, also, Ron, a one-time Nick. One-time Nick. Uh, later named Metal World Peace. He changed his name. 
Uh, Meta World Peace Ron Artest gained a reputation as one of the league's uh, premier defenders. He won NBA Defensive Player of the Year in 2004. Um, He was an NBA All-Star. He is arguably one of the crazier NBA players ever. He is, I mean, we would describe him as unhinged. Probably, Hungry, a scrappy, tough, tenacious guy from Queens. Uh, Artest played the game of basketball like someone at war. I mean, he was the descendant of Dennis Rodman. Yes. He was the the modern-day Fundamentally, yes. Totally yeah. like loose cannon, but such a nightmare defensively on the boards. So talented. I mean, he was an energy player. Yeah. I mean, and and that almost sounds like uh, that's probably not. I know that's not giving him enough yeah, that's, credit. That's because an understatement because he had he had, he had more energy than than a normal person is like supposed yeah, to have. Yeah, and he also had real incredible skill. I mean, this is oh, a guy yeah, that had a shot. Talented. He went to St. John's. He had a great. You know, he had a nice looking shot. He could pass the ball. He had a nice set of hands, but. Like, fundamentally, his greatest skill was his energy. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I was watching a bunch of different clips on Ron Artest, and the one that always stuck out to me that, like, made me shake my head, obviously, we'll, we'll talk about the malice at the palace. Yeah, but, we, unfortunately, but the, we kind of have to touch on yeah, that. Yeah, but the big thing with, with Ron Artest was, um, so he was playing for the Rockets. He, he played, uh, he got drafted by the Pacers, and then eventually... Uh, went to the Rockets and eventually to the Lakers, but he was playing for the Rockets at this point, and they're matched up against the Los Angeles Lakers in a playoff game, and he's guarding, guarding Kobe Bryant, and I believe he gets ejected in the second or third game, and so he's back in the locker room, and afterwards, the media scrum is like surrounding him at the locker, and they're just talking to him about the game, what happened, whatever, and Artest tells this story at his locker about how when he was back home, when he was playing pickup with a friend oh, as a God, kid, yeah. and he tells the story of this guy named Lloyd Newton, who he was playing pickup with, and they were winning a game, and apparently one of the opponents on the other team got so frustrated that they were losing, this guy snaps off the leg of a table and stabs his friend in the heart, and this guy dies right there on the court. Yeah. And so Artest was making the point to the media that he was like, look, I was raised in a way, and I'm accustomed to playing yeah. basketball in a very physical, tough like way. Like, getting ejected from so an like, NBA game is like not like that big a deal for me. What I just did to Kobe Bryant, like, that's nothing. Like, yeah. you think that was hand-checking? Like, you don't know hand-checking. Yeah. You know, and like, where I'm from, like, and that's like, just that's just the way we play. Knowing him and his background, that's a story I'm sort of forced to believe is true. Oh, like, no, no, no. It's true because I looked it up. Oh, like, shit. <laughs> I verified. I was like, is he just is he just fucking around with us? Yeah. No, no, no. This is a, a 19-year-old kid named Lloyd Newton God, so who sad. died in a rec game as part of the YMCA. I mean, yeah, it's terrible. It's Ugh. so sad. But, like, it's sort of an insight into who Ron Artest was yeah, as a player. It was from. like his, his, like, state of mind when he was playing was like, you could die out here. Yeah. Like, you could die on the court. And like you play to win and there's a code of honor. And so, um, and that's why I think it's definitely important, like not to like be too much of a Debbie downer, but when we talk about like, Oh yeah, that dude's crazy. Like, Oh man, like that enforcer is awesome. Like, Oh, he's just like wild, like yeah. loose cannon, blah, blah, blah. He's a wild card. Like run our test clearly like had some pretty serious, oh, like, he had issues. you know, psychological issues, which he too much to his credit, like he worked out like later in his career, like with therapy. Yeah, and, man. He's one of my favorite players of all time yeah, like for really, that reason. Yeah. Like, this is a guy that like came into the league, got a lot of money, got a, you know, was like in the spotlight and was sort of, you know, like it was his, uh, like his loose cannon nature was sort of romanticized and he was paid big money to be basically a psycho on the court. For sure, yeah. I and mean, to, to be honest, like the, his, to be, his team like exploited that, oh, that, that like they, aspect to his personality. Like completely. he was paid to basically like be a dangerous person. Yeah. You know, at times on the court. Yeah. And what that eventually resulted in was this you know, incident called the Malice at the Palace, uh, an infamous incident in the NBA history where Artest and Ben Wallace had an on-court altercation. Um, if I remember correctly, they were both going up for an offensive rebound. Artest maybe shoved Ben Wallace, who like swung his elbow and, sh- and shoved Artest away. Mm-hmm. And rather than get into it, Artest went over to the scorer's table and just like laid out and was like, I'm not messing with Ben Wallace. Right. I don't need any part of Ben Wallace. They he both got teed up. He attempted to remove himself and de-escalate yeah. the situation. 
and what happened was just a total shit show. Yeah. Basically, fans started throwing garbage onto the court at the players. Someone threw a beer can at Ron Artest. It hit him in the head. He flipped out, ran into the stands, confronted a fan in the stands. They brawled. They punched each other. And it ultimately resulted in Artest being suspended for 86 games. Yeah. So it was, I mean, definitely one of the... Not great. One of the big biggest black eyes if not the biggest the, black the big eye no-nos in the history of the sport for a player they can fight each other they'll get fined probably yeah. suspended but when you start you fighting the paying customers of yeah. your product it's uh, no good yeah, yeah. commission doesn't look too kindly on that so uh ron artest um you know he was suspended out of the league 86 games makes a comeback eventually with the lakers he r- changes his name legally to metal world peace sure sort of uh beautifully um undergoes a bunch of counseling gets some therapy and basically becomes an advocate for peace and mental health and therapy and getting help and i i think famously thanked his therapist uh live on camera following like directly after the lakers won the 2010 championship yeah 2009 or 10 yes yes that's right that's right like they like like literally like with the confetti coming down Mm -hmm. he was like i want to i want to thank my therapist yeah on the court did you also know that he he later in life uh, reconnected with that fan who he punched out. No shit, really? I did not know that. They had a long... Whoa. Yeah, they're friends. That just gave me chills. Yeah, they're friends. And Artest talked to the guy, and it was like, it turns out that guy had like a bunch of personal issues of his own. Wow. And like when that whole incident happened, when he threw the beer at Ron Artest, that guy was going through like a series of like major personal issues and and it just became this like beautiful story of like two very broken people who had like very regrettable moments that they wish they could have back and that wasn't being broadcast on national tv damn and um yeah, man, I, I'm a big, awesome. I'm a big Ron Artest fan. I did not know that little coda to the story. That's yeah, beautiful. they're they're friends. They're in touch to this day. Hell like yeah. I think they talk almost like on a regular basis. Wow. Yeah, it's pretty That's cool. Dope. Pretty yeah. cool. Shouts to Ron Artest. All right, you're up. Third round. Whew. All right. Now this is where things get a little hairy for me. Okay. But I I kind of think that um, we have to give. Uh, Again, I'm uh, as like a, a a lover and fan of NBA history. Yep. I'm gonna I'm gonna dip back into the uh, the annals into the archives mm-hmm. and give a shout to Maurice Lucas. Wow, of the uh, Portland Trailblazers. I'm familiar. Now you know this was well ahead of my time, uh, before my time. That is. Yeah, yep. um, so I was not uh, I was not around to watch Maurice do his thing on the court. Uh, all I really know of him, other than watching some highlights of the, uh, or not even highlights, but I, I watched like some some full games on like NBA Classic. Uh, not even it was like before NBA TV. There was like Classic Sports. It was like, like that, Hardwood Classics. Or yeah, something, maybe? something like that. Yeah, but I think there was like literally like some like cable channel called Classic Sports. And like yeah, yes, 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 yes. They yes. would do like random ass like you know. Uh, things from like some like tennis match from yeah. like the 70s or whatever but right. occasionally they would play old 70s NBA games mm-hmm. um, which I tuned into anytime they came on so I remember watching the uh, game 6 of the 77 finals of the Sixers versus the Blazers uh, Dr. J's first year in the NBA um, after the ABA merger um, when he was still just a complete freak force of nature going up against the uh, uh, Bill Walton-led Trailblazers. Um, but one of the key members of that team, uh, the Blazers in the 77 uh, season, was this guy Maurice Lucas, who was like yeah. a power forward. And he was just like a, like a, a real enforcer. He was literally nicknamed the enforcer. So that's kind of why I feel like I have to uh, you know, pay some respect to him. Yeah. Um, Again, did not super familiar with his game other than uh, little, little bits of it here and there and, and reading about him. But I kind of feel like, you know, this was the era when enforcers were really in vogue. Um, they did a whole, like, Sports Illustrated cover story um, about, like, the, you know, five biggest or best NBA enforcers. And Maurice Lucas was, like, the cover, mo- like, he was the man because his nickname was The Enforcer. So I kind of feel like if that's the case, like, yeah. you, you deserve a spot on any sure. list of enforcers. You're getting drafted. You so. just got drafted. Yep, you got drafted. All right. Maurice Lucas. Maurice Lucas. Um, I'm up. I'm going to... Uh I'm going to revisit, I don't mean to say revisit a classic, but this is a team that we've talked about already. Mm -hmm. Um, Rick Mahorn. Mm. Rick Mahorn was a big 
bruising, imposing, power, fo- power forward center. And uh, in 1989, Mahorn won his only NBA championship with the Pistons. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mahorn spearheaded the front line of the bad boy Detroit Pistons next to Bill Lambeer and Dennis Rodman. He was just a surly, chippy guy mm-hmm. who wasn't afraid to mix it up. He had a huge ass. Um, huge ass. I he mean, just love sticking in people. I will say, Mahorn, <laughs> Mahorn put on a considerable amount of weight <laughs> after he was traded from, or after he was let go by the Pistons in an expansion draft. Oh. The Minnesota Timberwolves nabbed him. Oh, and really? Yeah, I mean, I don't mean yeah. to make light of uh, actually his weight game <laughs> because I learned I later he was on the T Wolves. He was quite depressed. Oh, really? He was quite depressed about the whole like leaving detroit wow he was like an integral part of that team had he gone back to detroit because i thought he left detroit before that didn't he go to like the sixers briefly and then like he he was on the nets too i I know he definitely was drafted by um he was he was on the bullets before yeah he was drafted by the bullets yeah and then kind of found his way with the pistons right with the pistons for five or six years right won a championship in 89 and that offseason uh, the way expansion drafts worked was you had to leave a few players on your roster unprotected. Right. The Pistons left him you and, unprotected. You and Billy in the, in the yeah. a previous episode talked yes. about just how weird it is that expansion, expansion drafts happen. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Mahorn was left unprotected. The Minnesota Timberwolves, which uh, they were a new team, yeah. uh, selected Mahorn, and he was devastated. Wow. Devastated. And uh, I think that coincided with him putting on quite a bit of weight interesting but um i was oh that's right that was before he went to the sixers after that yeah Yeah, i think after that uh he i mean it was it was just so interesting watching these old youtube highlights of him uh the 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 pistons playing the lakers in the championship in 89 and uh mahorn mixing it up with ac green um it's, I mean, dude, the no layup rule was in full effect. It was like watching a hockey match, like mm-hmm. we were talking about. Mahorn and Michael Cooper, these guys would, on a regular basis, spill into the camera, you know, like the section underneath the hoop where the cameramen sure. and the all journalists, the right, and all the, the photographers, these guys would be diving in there all the time, throwing each other in there mm-hmm. all the time like it was no big deal. Forearms, elbows, shoving, full body checks, it was all in play. Yeah. Uh, Rick Mahorn... Um, Special player, my third overall pick, uh, an NBA enforcer. For sure. He was on my list, too. One, one more little uh, small tidbit of information that I'll add that I, that I gleaned from my research is that yep. um, uh, earlier on, we were talking about um, how enforcers often came in pairs. Yes. And um, so earlier on in, in Mahorn's career as a member of the uh, Washington then Bullets before they changed their name to the Wizards, right? Um, he was teammates with another uh Kind of like a, a similar uh, player to Lambeer, a, a kind of a big, doofy, white uh, power forward center named Jeff Ruland. And um, that's right. Back when Rick Mahorn and Jeff Ruland were teammates, um, uh, you know, legendary uh, Boston Celtics announcer Johnny Most uh, <laughs> gave gave those guys a nickname, uh-huh. and what he dubbed them was uh, McNasty and McFilthy. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Which, I did come across this. Um, yeah, yeah. When your uh, when your nickname is McNasty and McFilthy, I'm in. Uh, yeah, yeah. You you're an enforcer. To be tra- you you're get drafted as an enforcer. Yeah. 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 So way to go, Rick Mo- Rick Mahorn. Um, so that was my fourth overall pick. All right, we are in the fourth so round. So I'm up to number four. Yeah. Um, all right. So I think I'm kind of on this this duo kick here. Yeah, do it. Um, so even though I hated them so much, I mean, like I was saying before. The reality is there were tough NBA teams. Mm-hmm. There were teams whose whose full identity was about being uh, chippy and, sure. and nasty and being physical. So, so if you're going to try to hang with the big boys, one enforcer was often just not enough. No, you were going to have a front line of three or four guys deep. Yeah. So let's hear it. Who is it? All right. So my enforcers, and they come oh, wow. in a pair because there's just oh, no way you can oh, separate you them. you bastard. You fucking <laughs> bastard. I hate you so much. Yeah, you know I hate is. you so much. You know that's on my board. It's... I hate you so much. <laughs> I can't believe. I hate you so much. I gotta do it. I gotta I steal it. I hate you. I hate you. They're right there. They're just right there staring at me. I hate you. It's the Davis brothers. God damn it. <laughs> God damn it. God damn it. 
Are you serious? Oh God, this yeah, kills baby. me. Yeah, I baby. can't tell you how. Oh my, I Dale I, and Antonio. I thought long and hard about taking. Oh, I know you loved them. I, I know thought you long them. and hard about taking these guys first overall. You have no idea that gets I mean, me. You let them oh. slipped around four. I well, here was my thought. Here was my honest to God thought. Wow. You took Rick Smiths, and yet... Here was my thought. Okay. I knew that you were down on Smiths, and once I yeah. knew you were down See, on Smiths, I, I was like... I pick him. Oh, so he's he... He's not going for he people he He won't be taking like. Pacers. He won't be taking oh, Heat. Oh, man. He won't be taking Bulls. That's great. I'll just hang back with my... See? I'll, head games. God damn it. A draft is God all about... Damn it. It's all about mind games, baby. Wow. You gotta, you gotta read. Good for you. React. Good for react, you. Reaction. Yeah. Dale and Antonio. Didn't want to do it, but I gotta say. What do we need to know about these guys? These guys were just, they were, a, they were a handful. They were two handfuls. Important to know, these are Dale and Antonio Davis. They are not biological brothers. Not brothers at all. They're just they on-court brethren. Davis brothers. Yes. There's no way. Yeah. yeah I mean, the brothers. you could call them the Davis boys, the, but it's the much, brothers Davis. much yeah. funnier to just call them the Davis brothers. Of course. Even though... God, I hate you. I can't believe you did this to me. God, this gets me. Ooh, yeah, baby, this know, gets me. I know. I had to, though. God, they were just, um, yeah, they were like, ultimately, uh, my definition of an enforcer is a player you just hate to go against. Like, uh, obviously, there's yep. players that are really skilled and talented that you hate to go against, like Michael Jordan or Hakeem yeah. Olajuwon or, yeah. you know, yeah. Reggie Miller or Kobe Bryant. But a guy that just kind of gets under your skin more mm-hmm. because they don't even really deserve An to irritant. be there. They're just like, you're not even good at basketball. What are you doing? You're just yep. big and mean. And of course, if they're on my team, I fucking love them. Yep. But if they're on the Indiana Pacers playing the New York Knicks in the Eastern Conference Finals in 1994 or the Eastern Semifinals in 1995 mm-hmm. or 1998, yep. yeah, the Indiana Pacers were obviously so, uh, one of our big rivals. The Davis boys were the Indiana Pacers answer to Oakley and Mason. Absolutely. I there mean, was, there's no question that they were hired and paid money because the Pacers knew that they were going to be facing the Knicks yeah. that year in the in the playoffs. Yeah. Whatever that coming year was. I mean, they, in they the same knew way... That they, if they didn't have these guys, they were just going to get demolished and, and, and you know... The, the, they, Oakley, Charles Oakley was hired to be Michael Jordan's bodyguard and then eventually played with Patrick Ewing. These mm-hmm. guys were hired to be Reggie Miller's bodyguard. Yes. They're like, that's our sharpshooting three-pointer. Yes. Uh, our three-point shooter. He's our he's our uh, our lead dog. Yeah. Protect him. He doesn't get hurt. Bang and bruise. Yeah. Anyone that comes through the paint, you, you take them down. God. So those, I mean, those Knicks Pacers playoffs were just like, I mean, that was like, it was just enforcers versus enforcers and it was a bloodbath and yep. I loved it. You know, people shit on the 90s brand of basketball. They say, oh, the game was ugly and slow and low scoring back Not then. Not for me, man. Not for me either. That's why we do a podcast together, my friend, yeah. because that to me was just what a were, beautiful... What just, were some of the scores of those games? Like, like 79 to like, 74. We were regularly in the 70s, oh, right? Oh, yeah, for sure. I can't remember the last time I saw an If NBA you were scoring 90 points, 70s. chances are you High were going to win that game. High scoring game. If you're in the yeah. 90s, it's like someone yeah. went off for oh, 30 yeah. points that night. That's Against a crazy the Bulls game. and the Pacers, like yeah. Knicks, like if they, could, if they could get to 90, high 80s, like there was right. a good chance they were winning right. that game, which is right. insane. Right. But yeah, it was just like ugly, gritty, dirty, uh, just... Uh, unabashedly beautiful basketball to me the brothers um, davis i can't believe you got this they were like that gets me oh god they were just a like a cartoon duo of bad guys like they were just big and mean no and nonsense nasty. rebounding machines so strong how would we like, describe the look incredibly bald strong. uh uh so and uh, uh dale had like a mini afro dale he had was, a mini afro yeah and okay then antonio had like more of the, sh- the buzz cut like okay. the fade like the very short cropped fade i think i'm remembering dale later in the career with like the slim Sleek bald head. I think Dale did. You know what? Well, of course they both went bald Eventually. when the Pacers stole the, yeah, the yeah, next yeah. gimmick in '98 right. and shaved their heads. Right. And Dale did look like a pretty mean dude, as with a shave with a with yeah. bald head. There's no yeah. question. Like Dale was like a mean looking dude. He was a he was like six foot ten or eleven. Yeah, power forward. Like just monster and just rebounder. looked angry. Just yeah. had like a look of like I'm angry. I've yeah, just yeah, been yeah. at the gym all day. Exactly. I'm angry. Like, you just don't want to fuck with me. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yeah. Rebounding machines. Antonio was like a little like backup to him, mm-hmm. and ugh, he was like the brothers like, Davis. Man, Davis brothers. Yeah. Wow. What are you gonna do? You you knew they were coming every year, and you were just like, ugh, this is gonna suck. We gotta get solid through these pick. guys. What a solid pick. Yeah. God. All right, my last <laughs> and final pick. This is the fifth round pick. Um. 
I'm not sorry about this one at all. Mm. And he's a modern guy too. Oh boy. I'm going with Ben Wallace. He won the yeah. NBA Defensive Player of the Year four times. Oh, he uh, a record that he shares with Dikembe Mutombo. He spent nine seasons with the Pistons. He made two NBA Finals appearances in 2004 and five, and won a championship with the Pistons in in 04. The Pistons retired his jersey number, number three. Mm. Um, Ben Wallace looked like an NBA bouncer. He looked like a bouncer (laughs) at a club. You know, he had biceps that were just like camel humps. Correct me if I'm wrong. He had he wore bands. Yes, I was. uh, I was going to ask you like the Ultimate Warrior. Thank you for saying that. I was about to ask you. Am I fantasizing or am I remembering a real thing? Did so yeah. Ben Wallace had camel hump biceps and yeah. then he wore Ultimate Warrior bands, I'm right? Sure. I mean, he didn't have like the neon tassels, but he for sure had but like bands on his they arms. They were bands that sort of accentuated yeah. like the fact that he had ridiculous he had muscles. Bowling balls. He had two muscles. bowling balls yes. on his on his, for his shoulders, yeah. and then he had like slightly elongated bowling balls yes. for, for arms. Yes. And <laughs> Yeah. My God. So Wallace kind of epitomized, um, you know, this is a theme, again, this is like a theme that I think I'm uh, kind of uncovering with enforcers here. Like you find these guys that are the heart and soul of the team. Mm-hmm. And and Ben Wallace very much was that for this uh, mid-2000s Detroit Pistons squad. He very much epitomized and helped rebuild the kind of blue collar brand of basketball in Detroit. Yeah. Um, he kind of helped Detroit. It sounds weird, but he like almost like helped Detroit remember who they were. Yeah. It was like, totally like they had we, lost their identity in the nineties. Yeah, I mean, they, they, the Grant Hill Pistons of the nineties were like, and Jerry Stackhouse, they yeah. were, they were fun and they scored points, but they're like pretty good, but yeah, nothing but special. nothing special. And they kind of like lacked a soul of sorts. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was a toughness that Ben Wallace brought to the team. He was a four-time defensive player of the year. He was the anchor. He was the heart and soul of those Larry Brown teams. Um, he was an undersized center. Yeah, he, like six he, eight, six nine. He often was giving up a few inches to mm-hmm. the guys that he was playing. But I will say this: he was never outmatched in terms of his his toughness or his muscle mass. Yeah, even when he was playing, I mean, he would match up against Shaq. I'll never forget watching him play against Shaquille O'Neal in the 2004 Finals. It's the only time in that like peak Shaq heyday yeah. where he was just dominating everything, and it honestly made basketball like not fun to watch for me because. Yes. Just watching like, just brute Shaq's force body yes. everyone and like, dunk was just right. like boring. You, you weigh three hundred pounds. These guys don't to watch that like, over and yeah, over yeah, again. Yeah, and Ben Wallace was like like my knight in shining armor. Yes. <laughs> is that is that like not too much weird at all to say, to say at all? No, not at and all. Watching him in that finals, I was like so geared up to just be like, ugh, another fucking Lakers finals. Yeah. this is gonna suck. This is gonna I suck. like this Pistons team, but yes. they have no chance. Yes, and then suddenly Ben Wallace came out there, and it was like, oh wait a minute this dude is like the only guy I've ever seen that can actually fucking face up and like, and like body Shaquille O'Neal back. Like that is insane. Giving up a good four inches to Shaq and probably like 30 or 40 pounds, but just like so fierce and rugged and determined and like, just knew all the tricks of like kind of like pushing him and bothering him mm-hmm. and he would do the like pull the chair out a lot i remember on Shaq. <laughs> yeah and like he was just smarter, smarter. and like a little grittier and yeah. like just like completely blindsided shaquille yes. and that entire lakers team and I, like i was like this is going to be a miracle if the pistons can like take them to seven games mm-hmm. and they ended up winning in five it yep. was like wait what no contest <laughs> it wasn't even like no close like they just completely dominated a team with Shaquille O'Neal, Kobe Bryant, Carl Malone, Gary Payton. It was like, and they didn't have, like, their biggest star was Chauncey Billups. And, yep. like, it's like, what? <laughs> How did that happen? One last thing I want to say about Ben Wallace, and we touched on the malice at the palace before. Yeah. Uh, we sort of covered the details of that. But I'll say this about Ben, ben Wallace regarding malice at the palace. As players... Like players you could see on camera as that whole fight was breaking out and getting really out of control, they mm. were literally running away from Ben Wallace. Yeah. Like no <laughs> like Ben Wallace was the person no one wanted to That's fight. That's the thing. Like he wasn't he was an enforcer. He was a different brand of enforcer because yeah. he didn't really fight. No, he wasn't very a fighter. He was just kind of if like if he did fight, he would, would like end the end guy's it. career. Yeah. It was like you don't like no one even tried it. Like his he would fists just, look like they were made of concrete or yeah. something. It was like I mean, 
Absurd. Good God. I, w- I would like, it would be, it would literally be like a horrific moment if he ever connected a punch to any, anyone. God forbid. Um, and yeah, he was awesome. Obviously, uh, he was also considered in the hair category. Oh, incredible for hair. The incredible, like, uh, going back and forth between the afro and the cornrows. Yes. And it was like, oh, what's Ben going to wear? Did you prefer one or the other? Honestly, they were like, they equally both, cool. I know. They, I was going to say that. Because he looked like such a badass with I the was cornrows, so happy to see either one. let the fro come out, it was like, this works just as well. He yeah. looks just as imposing and cool and, and like fierce. The fro really take, took me back. It was like, yeah. no, no kidding. no like, one had a fro at that point. In 2003, like, four, like the fro is totally out But there style. was also a character to, to the fro where it was like angled. Mm-hmm. It was like very like sharp and pointed where... You know, it wasn't like it wasn't like well manicured or right. something. Well, because it was he just, went back and forth, you could tell the fro was just. Oh, I'm just not. I just didn't braid my hair. You know today. what it was? It was a. It was a very Ben Wallace fro in that it was like a. It was a very like violent fro. It was yeah. just kind of like fierce and yeah. out there and just like these like tufts of hair. Yeah. And um, similarly, his cornrows are just tight and ripped. Like yeah. his cornrows were like ripped. Never did the like <laughs> weaving in and out, no. different designs. He's it not just throwing. thick lines yeah. down the middle. We're not doing thick anything lines. crazy here. Tight yeah. and thick. Yeah. And yeah. 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 Like just like, yeah, muscular looking cornrows. Totally. Fifth pick, you're on the clock. You're, f- <sighs> you're fifth and final enforcer. All right. This is a... Uh, don't I don't really have much of a great answer for this one. Wallace was you, you definitely stole one from me. There, I mean, so. I have I have you, you, other enforcers. Like I can I can um, I can name off a few, but I'm gonna I go can with pitch one. you. I can pitch you on a few no, ideas. No, I actually I do have one that that I can end on. Yeah. Um, it's a complete wild card. Uh, this is a high upside wow. pick. Um, just because of of the deepness of this cut, it's so deep that I don't even really know anything about this guy. Um, Whoa. But I. I remember as a kid reading about this man named Ken the Animal Bannister. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and he played for the Knicks in an era that totally fascinates me. Um, it was the pre-Ewing 80, early 80s Knicks. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, this was like Bernard King's team. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was just like, there was a lot of characters on that team that like never really amounted to anything like they were kind of like a like a bunch of like kind of knuckleheads and like washouts and stuff um and so this guy named Ken Bannister I like read about him in some book um and I was just always fascinated by the fact that his name was the animal sure. and I was like why did he have what that makes nickname? you an animal yeah um and I assume he was like kind of a you know bruising power forward like rebounder type but he wasn't even like a starter he was like he got like average like five or six rebounds a game. Like he was totally like a nobody. He played for the Knicks for like four or five years, mm-hmm. and there's no reason why he should be remembered. <laughs> but I loved his nickname. I loved his regular name. Ken Bannister is a very strong name. Um, but then I was trying to figure out like why was this guy named nicknamed the Animal? I assume it was just because he had like you know a pretty kind of bruising uh, uh, kind of style of play. But then I found this one link, and I don't know if this is from. It's like some guy's blog that he wrote. I don't know if it's like. Uh, excerpts from a book or what but um, I'm just gonna have to read it verbatim I don't know if this is true this is literally like some random link I found uh, through Google let's go Um, but I'll just read it in the early 80s the Knicks had a center named Ken Bannister he was nicknamed the animal he had a strong set of teeth and liked to bite opposing players no he felt that since he was shorter than most centers he had a right to make up for his lack of height by creating fear he'd usually try to bite the other player in the arm but if he was knocked to the floor, he'd bite the leg. He led the league every year at getting thrown out of games for biting. Oh, my God. He was a power forward, but because the Knicks didn't have a center, he was forced to play out of position. Since he wasn't playing his true position, he had an excuse to not, to not do well. The only times he had good nights were when the opposing players were tired of getting bitten and wouldn't guard him. Wow. <laughs> Holy cow. So, does that qualify as an enforcer? Yeah. I would say yeah. Yeah, that sounds like an enforcer. <laughs> That's um, enforcer-type behavior, wow. right? Wow. A couple... <laughs> Couple. Again, can't confirm this source. I have no idea where I've got this information, but it was on the internet. So. Sounds good, man. It's on the internet. Yeah. A couple honorable mentions I want to toss out. Um, I, I mean, again, we have the theme just like keep coming back to a, a, a group of teams here. Another New York Nick, Kurt Thomas. Yeah. Kurt oh, Thomas yeah. went to TCU, led the NCAA Division One in scoring and rebounding in 94 mm. 95 with 28 points and 14 rebounds a game. Um, became becoming the only third player in history to do that alongside Hank Gathers and Xavier McDaniel. Um, 
He was drafted by the Heat, spent seven years with the Knicks from 98 to 05. He was essentially brought in to be Oakley's replacement. Mm Mm-hmm. And exactly, um, kind of a poor man. Like, uh, let's be honest, very poor man's. Oakley. Oh yeah, yeah, poor man's but Oakley, one thousand percent. But he like grew into the role. Yeah, uh, he. I mean, he made him made a name for himself in the mid nineties with the Heat, and then by by uh, badgering Patrick Ewing actually when he was playing the Heat yeah. in the post, um, when he's playing with the Heat and and guarding Patrick Ewing in the post, I should say. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, I mean, he was just a banger and a bruiser, and also had a pretty silky eighteen foot jump shot. Yeah, he did have a little outside game, didn't he? Other names for consideration. These are some some more modern guys: uh, a Kendrick Perkins, sure, a Matt Barnes, mm-hmm. a PJ Brown. I know that's not mm-hmm. going to be popular with you. Yeah. Udonis Haslam, and then Udonis, um, I can respect, even though you know he was the member of the Heat. But yep. I gotta gotta give that guy credit. Um, and then. Uh, you know, our our modern day our modern day uh, enforcer maybe the still, only true enforcer left. Stephen Adams of oh, the Oklahoma City I thought Thunder. You were going Draymond Green. No, oh, and Draymond. We should talk about but Draymond. Yeah, Steve O yeah. is definitely. An I think I think Steve O's an enforcer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Agreed. And yeah. part of his enforcement is you know the tattoos, the hair, the beard, the oh, commitment yeah. to being McNasty. Yeah, yeah. He looks he looks pretty awesome. I kind yeah. of love him actually. And Draymond the same thing. Draymond's yeah. out there to bother people more to on the instigation side. Of the, yeah, of the enforcement he's spectrum. playing mental games, yeah. I think, as much as physical games. Yeah, but yeah, gotta gotta give that to him. Uh, all right, so real quick, read me your starting five of enforcers. So I went, uh, I went Mason, I went X Man, I went uh, Davis Brothers. No, yeah. was that my third or was that my fourth? No, that was my fourth. Who's my third? Um, 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 fucking Maurice Lucas. Oh, that's right. That's yeah, right. That's sorry. right. Okay. And my starting five is Oakley. I have Oakley, Bill Lambeer, mm. Ron Artest, Rick Mahorn, and Ooh. Ben Wallace. Wow. I, I love those say, enforcers, yeah. man. I love me those you enforcers. Yeah, you might have made up for, for last draft. You might have taken this one. <laughs> I, gotta, I gotta give it to you, man. All right. All right. That well, that's so what you get strong. with the first pick. Yeah. All right, BC. Thanks for hopping on the Enforcer pod. We Absolutely. will see you Long in a few weeks. Enforcer, the Enforcer is dead. With the uh, signature moves draft. All right. Can't, All right. can't wait. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Peace. All right. That was the Enforcer's Draft with Ben Crop. BC, thanks so much. My name's Chris Wendelkin. This is On The Line. You can tweet at me at OnTheLine underscore pod. Uh, send me any NBA-related questions to OnTheLinePod at gmail.com. Please rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, wherever you get podcasts. Enjoy the rest of the NBA offseason, the rest of your summer, and I will talk to you guys next week.